0: Anna Tonk. Welcome to How to Be Human, a podcast that explores the common and often confusing themes of humanness. Hello, welcome back. Happy Tuesday. I am thrilled about today's episode. I am thrilled about today's guest. And it was one of those moments when social media is your best friend versus showing you a vacation you're jealous somebody went on. (laughs) Or, you know, you're hearing another questionable take on things or maybe something else that terrible politicians have been up to. So I've been a fan of Aja for... Quite some time. I think I found her through Celine or the Slow Factory. All of these people will be tagged if you want to go on your own journey of finding these incredible women. And Aja had posted this, you know, graphic that said, I believe in holding grudges, I'll heal in hell. And I thought it was the funniest thing I'd seen in a hot second and reposted it to the How To Be Human Instagram. And she slid into my DMs and said, have me on to talk about... Uh, consumed, And I honestly love when life surprises you. I, of course, was thrilled and had the best time, con- you know, conversing with Aja and we already talked about doing another episode. But no, I would not have reached out to her. I would have thought that she was like... I don't know, not better than me, but like ha- I would have thought her, her her time was a little more filled than having it to come on my little podcast. And I was thrilled she was down. And I read her book, Consumed. I highly suggest you do as well. I thoroughly appreciated this conversation about power, sustainability, privilege wealth inequality all sorts of things this is the area that Aja is like an expert in and she's just so smart that I'm super appreciate that I got to read her brilliant words and then discuss them with her so please enjoy episode 70 with Aja Barber Yeah, I couldn't believe the nostalgic hit. You know, when I was starting your book, you know, I had my highlighter out. I was prepared to feel very academic. And then you gave me this total nostalgia hit uh, by talking about the the tank top that came with Nova. And I just remembered, like I think of sustainability and this glut of fast fashion and clothes as being a more recent issue you can tell me because you've been studying it
1: it has it has sped up like dramatically within like 20 years but particularly these last like five years particularly with the online the drop shipping the sheen all of that those yeah it's like really really speeding up now so like in 20 years time a lot has changed but as of recent it's gotten even worse basically
0: yeah you made me transport to being when I first moved to London in the early 90s I would go to the newsstand and I would pick the fashion magazines based on what stuff they were giving what was the free stuff
1: oh I would do the same so like my dad like basically would like always make sure that we traveled even if we had to wear like hand-me-down clothes even if every corner was cut my dad was going to take us traveling because that was what he valued so as like a, a young lower middle class person getting to like travel to other countries that was like basically the highlight of like my childhood and teen life and like going to Heathrow and seeing all the stuff at the magazines. Ugh. That's like a really pronounced memory for me and grabbing like one of every magazine. Cause I've been working all summer to like have yes. money to like spend in Europe. And I was just like, I just need a suitcase for my
0: magazines. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And my mom would beg me to get rid of that. It really? I hadn't thought about that. And like, a thousand years, and I couldn't believe that someone else had that shared experience. And I was reading it in a book, but it hadn't even occurred to me how long we've been pumping out junk and we've been consuming <laughs> junk. And it, it isn't just the magazines, though, like,
1: think about all the free t shirts you've ever gotten in your oh. life, and then. Think about the free t shirts you said no to. Think about, <laughs> well, this is like a horrifying fact that I learned even before I wrote Consumed. When there is a big sporting event like the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. you got two teams, and immediately after the game is over, people are wearing t shirts that say, This team is a winner. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Guess what? They print those t shirts for both teams.
0: Yeah. They, which is crazy. And I mean, I've heard, you know, I've I've heard the staff. I mean, I'll be honest, like I've become I mean, I've cared about the environment, but I've also been a bit of a clothes horse. And then I also used right. being plus size as an excuse to be less mindful, for sure. And it was funny, your Instagram actually made me start examining that, you know, because I don't think you identify as plus size, but you're- I am. I'm I'm a size US 16, 18. Oh, okay. So a small
1: fat, yeah. you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and it is harder. but It's
1: harder, but I know there's levels to it, yeah. right? Like, obviously, there are some stores where I'm just Not going to find anything for myself in there. But there are a few stores where maybe I'll be at the top end of what they have. And I recognize that for somebody who is a size 24, that's a completely different experience. So there's different levels of privilege here. So I try and, like, do the work of pushing ethical brands to be more inclusive without trying to take up too much space, if you know what I mean.
0: And I think you actually walk that balance, like, really well, you know, because... I think a lot of people who are in sustainability and fashion and things like that can be a little like, you know, like figure it out, fatties. And it's like, you know, yes. and it's like, yes. well, you know, like you can only do so much, or like I can only wear so much linen. I don't, you know, like I I also exactly. want some, but it made me start thinking about like, okay, I may be limited or whatever, but I can start figuring it out like I really like new works for example that I'm like I can start I did in like big bud press and I'm like I can start identifying these brands that seem to be trying to do something better I can and you might not be able to afford it today you might not
1: be able to afford it in a month but like part of this is just a mindset shift which every single one of us whether we are plus size or thin has to go through because the reality is we're all buying a lot of clothing.
0: Yes. And I mean, I do. I'm definitely a little bit of a hoarder. I, Same. You, you know, and I have to do these purges. I've been doing a purge. And then I went on vacation to Guatemala uh, just last week with my family. And I was annoying the shit out of them because I wasn't buying stuff. Yeah, And, you know, and my my mom's like, you're annoying. I can't like buy anything for you. And I was like, I don't need Anything. anything. And I didn't really want anything. And I had been reading your book on the way down and on the plane. So definitely, I mean, everyone should read your book anyway. It's fascinating. It's really well written. You it's Thank it's you. packed with so much information. You're covering so much ground. It's like we're talking about power. We're talking about racism. We're talking about colonialism and clothing and the planet. I mean, it's it's so much, but
1: I'm also trying to be relatable too, because I think that people can get like Super sanctimonious in this topic. Yeah. And like, nobody likes the sanctimonious person. And I do think that like, I can't sit from a place of like, well, now I'm better because all of my stuff is sustainable because one, no one likes that person. But two, I was the person who was the problem before. (laughs) And like, I'm not going to like try and erase that. And I do think that sometimes people do try and sort of like, moralize themselves in this conversation when in actuality it's a much better conversation when you can hold your hand up and be like hey I know exactly where you're coming from like I was the person who was like living in my parents basement unable to move out and yet was still like buying fast fashion that I didn't need and then sneaking it into my mom's house after she went to bed. And there was a point where I was just like, what the fuck are you doing with your life? What is happening here?
0: Yeah. And I appreciated that you touched on as well. Like, the different drives we have to consume, that yes. I related that you know I'm white, but I'm usually in a larger body, and yeah. I appreciated what you talked about in terms of being a black woman and like wanting to fit in and wanting, wanting to identify, wanting to be treated better. Yes, in the space, and and know? I relate to that of like I want to participate in trends sometimes because it's like I want to signal to the world I belong, I fit in, I can I can participate, and
1: the need to belong is. Stronger than we think it is, and like I do think that there's this idea that like we don't talk about that because it makes us feel shallow or silly, but like everybody likes to fit in, you know.
0: Well, and I've come around to to anything that is systemic that we want to see shifts and improvements with, we got to talk about what people are dealing with. Like, what is the what is the the desire to do it? You know, like why does somebody want to participate in this? Something you talk about in your book that I wanted to like make out with you over was when you were talking (laughs) about the like quit saying they at least they have a job in relation to like factories like any of us want to work that job
1: like this is the thing if we can't put our empathy hats on and be like maybe I shouldn't be saying that because I wouldn't want that job then like what are we doing?
0: Well, and like what do you what do you know about what that job is? You know, like yeah. when people are saying that or like I hear people sometimes be offhand of like, "Oh, I'm like I'm keeping the people of Zara busy or or whatever." And it's like it, Maybe they don't want to be
1: busy. Maybe they want to have a soft and beautiful life like we want to have too.
0: Right. And maybe or maybe it's like have we thought about thinking of it as modern indentured slavery? Mm. Because people are being trapped. I don't think a lot of people understand how clothing works, how factories work, how, like you said, especially uh, like with um, contracts being canceled with like the pandemic and things like Mm -hmm. that, that people weren't getting paid, that it's like, it's really bad. It is- The brands have all the power and even
1: the governments of, countries in the global South where the brands manufacture know this, they know this. And like, that's something that I talk about. Um, There's a documentary about the world's most polluted river, which is the Mm -hmm. Chaturam river in Indonesia. And there's a moment and I'm not going to get this quote, right. Where this person says, like, if we don't sacrifice the people, the brands won't manufacture here. But if we tell the brands and like put our foot down about some of this stuff, then we sacrifice our people. So basically like, hey, we're so dependent on the system that we can't even say like stop poisoning our water.
0: Yeah. That there's literally zero agency. There's zero
1: agency and, and no collective bargaining. And I think in some ways a privilege that I've always had in this conversation is I understand organizing because my dad is an organizer. And my grandfather was an organizer. So my dad was a union president for 36 years. And so from a young age, I was like, oh yeah, unions are really great. It's good for collective bargaining. Like we're talking age nine when people were like, I want to be a fireman when I grow up. (laughs) You know what (laughs) I mean? And so I think I've always sort of understood how in this conversation, this is what it looks like when you have no collective bargaining power. Mm -hmm. And I think people really don't get that because we've gotten away from the history of how we have our rights today. And you could also argue that those rights are quickly evaporating because I think we're sort of losing touch with like the bigger picture and the work that needs to be done if we've sort of forgotten that people died for us to have like a two-day
0: weekend. Yeah. I thought something also too that you – touched on that was really interesting i think in the round table portion when you were saying how also black people have also not been regarded as stewards of the land that it, that the the narrative is always that the, you know they were just enslaved they yeah. you know, just were and i'm from georgia originally and yeah if you want People who know how to treat the land, who know the history of it, who, you know, like my grandparents lived on a farm about an hour outside Atlanta, and I grew up mostly in Europe, but I would spend the summers with them and spend a lot of time on my on the land. And my grandfather, uh, both my grandparents grew up during the Depression, which, <laughs> you know, no surprise, leaves an impact on people. And yeah. they were very connected to the land and were always like talk to the indigenous, anyone who is indigenous, talk to someone who's black, like they, they know the land. That was something yes. really drilled in me from a young age. And my grandfather always really consulted, like they would make these really elaborate gardens. And I think people don't understand, like, not only were, you know, non-white people, like traditionally people, people who treated the land the best and some of the best stewards, but also knowledgeable. Uh, The impact also, like, on American food also cannot be denied. Like, in High on the Hog, Dr. Jessica Harris, like, talking about, you know, like, watermelon, okra, like, all these things came literally... Watermelon, which was snuck over. Yeah, it was snuck over. And I just was like... This is something that becomes more and more important now. Of of like when people are like, you know, climate change and like all these things, like who who do we listen to? And I'm like, not white people, you know, like <laughs> like yeah, I, mean, I mean, number one, on. I'm like, let's talk to the people who traditionally have been stewards of the land, like especially in the U S. Let's indigenous is- voices, like let's come on. Colonialism is
1: intrinsically tied to like the climate crisis. So one of the things that we we know about our changing planet is that the flora and fauna changes. And when you have ecosystems that start changing because of invasive species or whatever, that messes with the delicate balance on this planet. And one thing that people do not realize is that the strains of cotton that are grown in the south, many of them aren't native. North America, they were brought over because of slavery and colonialism. And how has that changed the delicate ecosystem of North America, basically. So yeah, there's so many details about colonialism that tie into exactly how we got in this place that we're in today. And people don't look at it from that broadened lens, but we have to, because if we don't, you know the the looking at it that way holds the key to so many solutions and if we refuse to see it from that perspective we've locked in our Mutually assured destruction, basically.
0: Yeah. I know it sounds maybe ignorant, but it's like I did I hadn't really thought about the impact of colonialism. And I grew up, you know, in a time where it was cool to say third world. Like that was a very acceptable term. Oh
1: yeah, totally. I mean, I didn't realize until a few short years ago that like we don't use that anymore. And I generally, you know, also like when people say it's a developing country, I stopped using that. And that's something I talk about in the book, because many of these places are specifically underdeveloped because of pillaging that the global North has done. So like, it's not developing, it's, you know, traditionally pillaged is what it is. Yeah. It's not because they don't want to develop and like, oh, we're like, you know they're they're very like a, a terrible word that's been used, but like oh it's very primitive there. You know it's like yeah. why do you think
0: that is? Yeah, <laughs> I mean I forget the 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 stat of what the um the debt that the British left India in, but it was in the trillions. It I was mean horrific, horrific. Every time I
1: learn something new about the East India Company, I just feel just more disgusted by all of it. And I, I I, always feel like, is there a bottom to like this story that eventually I'm going to be like, okay, I know all the horrible details. <laughs> and no, there isn't. I'll learn something new tomorrow and be like, <laughs> that's disgusting.
0: I have a few friends that have an ex where you you think you've bottomed out on like (laughs) how big a piece of shit you can think they are and then they'll be like blah 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 and you're like you never told me that story you know it's like oh there's another reason why this this is just like the worst you know I can think of a very specific ex um
1: when (laughs) it comes to this topic so yes I would agree I know that is like the most like specific, like you've really nailed that example there.
0: It seems like in a way you've always been a little bit at odds in the sense of, you know, it's like, and it's interesting because it's like we have differences, but like my parents also really believed in travel, you know, Mm -hmm. like my mom was born and raised in Georgia, but like she was spending her allowance on, you know, Spanish records to try to like learn Spanish and like get out of Georgia. Like my dad grew up um, a military brat, so travel wasn't that cuckoo to them, and one of their big values of was like, we want you to know you're a part of the world, not the center of it. And that was exactly
1: it. And I think my dad also wanted us to see that, like, there is a world outside of the U.S. because the U.S. can be very U.S. centric, right? And I think he just wanted us to see that, like, if there was something more that you want it, it doesn't have to be in the U.S., right? And, like, I would argue that's why I'm, like, sitting here today talking to you from my living room in London, you know?
0: Yeah. And you – so you studied abroad, and I like that you talk about your initial sort of, like, you know, entry into fashion. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like, fashion's not – it's not an easy field for numerous reasons. It's, no. it's highly, you know. I was going to say gate kept. I don't know if we conjugate ga- gatekeeping, but um, yeah. You know, it's it, it's very exclusive. You know, there's yeah. a, and I thought your pathway in and you know, obviously you're you're in your book. You know, you're you're looking at it through a certain lens, but it seems like you were always observant and you mm-hmm. were always a little bit like. I don't think it's just about clothes, you know, like it's, it seems like you were already sort of like, how does this all work? How does this all come together? Like, it's interesting when you're talking about working for, I think, Rude, was it? The Yeah. Like, and you're
1: like... And my friends, Rupert and Abby, so you probably have the American version of the book, but in the British version, they've actually done illustrations and they were Rude, so... <laughs>
0: That's funny. And I like that you talk about how y'all were making the custom totes and things like that. And, like, do you think in some ways, like, it was like inevitable you were going to end up in this kind of work with your interest? And, like, you've got this sort of interesting background of like your parents are providing global access to you at a young mm-hmm. age. You're trying to be in a field that traditionally like doesn't want to let anybody in that isn't yeah. like rich and white, you yeah. know, like, and then yeah, tr- yes, yes. Um, do you think you were already sort of, I don't know, Is it? it's not like critical, but I imagine you were just looking at it in a different way than yeah. some of the other people who are just like, oh, it's fun and it's art. And it's, you know, like p- people come to fashion, I think with such a like, oh, it's light and it's frothy. And it's like, it's, it's yes, it can be that, but it's also business. And
1: there's a lot- It accounts for a large percentage of the jobs on the planet. You know, farmers- cotton farming is like a huge trade because of it it's tied to colonialism i think i was always looking at it from a critical lens because i couldn't participate in the light and frothy way yeah so like when i told my parents perhaps i wanted to be in the fashion industry they were like listen here you need to get a real job that's not a real job you know what (laughs) i mean like they're they're black ethnic parents and like They're not like, oh yeah, we'll help you go to school so that you can get like a degree in literature, which (laughs) is another thing. Like that was the next thing. And my parents were like, absolutely not. So I kind of felt like when I got to have that experience in London, when I got back to the UK, it was like, okay, time for the real work to start because you're not doing that, you know? And I kept saying to my parents, no, I really want to be in fashion. And like, they were just not having it. And so I didn't end up working in fashion for the first like 15 years of my life because that wasn't considered a serious occupation. And, you know, as far as like environmental stuff goes, I really suck at science. So like, <laughs> I wasn't going to be in that occupation either, even though this was always something that interests me. Like from a young age, I started to read a lot of like environmental literature, just to understand the natural world. And so I I feel like what I do today is a culmination of so many different aspects of my life. But if somebody had told me 20 years ago, here's what you're going to be doing in 2023, I'd be like, shut up. (laughs) Because this sort of job and conversation didn't actually exist.
0: Yeah. I appreciated too how you were talking about like, in the beginning of the book of just how so few jobs are staff even at this point. Yes.
1: Well, this is the thing we're about the same age, right? Mm-hmm. I have not had a full-time job in my life and it's not for a lack of want. It's because the majority of jobs that I've had used to be salaried and now they are in the UK, we call it zero hour uh, contracts or, you know, permalance. Yes. Yeah. I think what we would say in the U S and like, It all sounds good when you're making a pretty good day rate until you realize that you don't get any of the nice benefits that you would like. And then if you want a salary job, like I worked at Discovery Channel in my 20s. They used to be based in Silver Spring, Maryland. Mm -hmm. And if you want a salary job, that salary job is going to be the world's worst job. So not anything in production. It'll probably be a desk job. And you'll make like $30,000 a year in the DC area, which is like no money whatsoever. Yeah, You know, I was offered a salary job with, with discovery and I turned it down because I was living in Reston, Virginia and commuting to Silver mm-hmm. Spring. And like that amount of money would barely cover what it costs for me to commute. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like totally. I, I was just like, how does anyone live this way? So like in order to get the benefits, AKA the healthcare, the paid vacation, you were taking a significant pay cut. And I just have never had a salary job ever.
0: Yeah. That it's interesting. Cause I was in production as well. And yeah, I guess it was only staff for about a year. I worked for Sony music studios mm-hmm. and I would think Sony could probably afford to toss me some health insurance and some shit, but Mom my base salary in 2002 was $19,000 and they were like don't worry though you get OT- you know overtime so you can supplement that way and i happened to luck out and that a grandparent you know died during that time mm-hmm. and i got like a small inheritance and yeah. that was the only reason I could, you know, also my dad died when I was young. So I bought my apartment. My mom kept being like, You should buy an apartment. I was like, I'm 21. I think that's illegal. I was just like, (laughs) I shouldn't be allowed to buy something. And I just, you know, was like, I'm overwhelmed. And then when I really looked and was like, I want to be in production. I want to stay in New York. Mm-hmm. The only way I could make it work was to take the, my my dad died with no will, but my mom carved out money from his life insurance, which was one of the coolest things she ever like that. I don't know that I would have done that. I would have been so fucking mad, but that was, yeah. that was a real, she's a real one in that regard. And so I bought my apartment, which lowered my housing costs, Mm -hmm. and then some grandparent kicked off, and I had a a small inheritance, and that's the only reason. And I appreciate it that, like, I'm I'm someone who tries to be as transparent about those sort of things. I
1: try to be as well because it just doesn't serve our our friends in our community to not have some honest, open dialogue about this stuff.
0: Yeah, and I think to hold, you know, like companies and industries accountable. To
1: account, of, to account, You know, that yes. it's like a
0: two, a twofer in the fact of like, you know, like when my apartment would come up in my 20s and people would be like, you own? And I would be like, first of all, you're gonna, I'm, I'm taking no credit that I was like saving money or like super mm-hmm. responsible or mm-hmm. anything. No, I lucked out, you know? The one good thing about a parent dying is, you know, you may get some property you know, I've always been transparent about that because it's, especially I think in big cities and it, you know, well, everywhere we're competitive and everywhere we're measuring ourselves against other people. But a lot of this is like, you know, people will get so down on themselves about individual pursuits or abilities. And it's like, it's systemic issues. Like once again, it's like, production's a little less gatekeeping in that regard. Like most people are not being paid what they should. I mean, it, it, the per t- percentage at the top being paid really well is very small. Whereas right. publishing is outrageous in the regard and fashion and publishing and I would say PR these, in these, terms of people being like, oh, you should only take this job if you have a trust fund. Like that's what everybody- These
1: occupations and what they're doing is they're creating entire fields only certain classes of people can be in that field. And what does that do to change our entire culture? What does that do for representation? What does that do for the way the entire fashion industry shakes out if one class of person can participate in the fashion industry? What does that do for what is reflected in stores and magazines and media?
0: I find it so gross. I mean, on a ethical and human level, I just think it's disgusting. Yeah. And then on a personal, so boring. I so know.
1: Boring. I just remember. So I moved to New York. I saved all this money. I was living with my parents, and then I moved to New York, and I worked for the magazine. And I came in as a as a intern and left as like more of a freelancer. But I remember many of my fellow interns had done five, six, seven internships in New York. And me, I had to save money for six months and work night jobs in order to do that internship. And I just remember feeling so silly because I asked one of the people, I was like, hey, how are you guys able to do this? And the person was like, because my parents pay my rent. And I was like, Oh, and I just, I felt so, I felt so silly.
0: It's funny. Cause I went to Parsons School of Design, which is funny. You, you mentioned in your book, like, I, like I, I wasn't going there and I was like, I went and I was like, I can speak to that experience. And my so my father dies when I was 16 and he died without a will so Mm -hmm. we had no money everything's locked up for for a couple years Mm -hmm. and when I went to college that's what was up and at first it was a real conversation with my mom of I was like and Parsons is really rigorous it really like I mean what did you study what was your I was direct entry photography And so you're from freshman year, you're a studio art major and you Mm -hmm. have to take 21 credits each semester. So it's just like it is hard and and yet it's it's very intense. And you have review week every semester where... They decide if you go on, you know? So, and how do you do all of that and have a part
1: time job because you can't afford certain things?
0: Exactly. And you're supposed to be making art, you know, like, you know, if you're in any kind of studio program, your homework takes forever because yeah. you have to like literally make it, you know, like you yeah. have a percentage of your homework that's like papers and like kind of normal stuff of what we think of schoolwork.
1: Mm-hmm. And then
0: you have to go make art. You know, and so you're supposed to be making art and like doing all these things and working and getting internships. And it was like, you know, it was funny because my my mom from the very beginning would be like, you should get paid for your internships. And I was like. nobody is. And I just remember as like a 19 year old and like my mom had so little money at that point and would give me like a little bit or, you Mm -hmm. know, and she and I would have these meetings to sort of be like, what, what is important right now? Like, is it important that I focus on my grades? Is it important that I'm like getting these internships to try to secure this future? And if I'm doing that, You know, like, will she help me with my rent or will, we? you know, there was it was a constant like negotiation of all that stuff just because people won't pay for your time. And, you know, and I hear it so much now and I hear it like something um, that came to mind when I was reading your book and you were talking about these things is how startups have created this like fake economy of how they like will jack up, you know, like they get all this, you know, and they
1: sell it to us as like, this is a revolution. It's like (laughs) unregulated taxis are a revolution. Putting the hotel industry out of business is a revolution (laughs) to take out your own trash and change your own sheets. Like
0: what? Yes. This, you know, like this is progress. (laughs) And we eat it up
1: hook, line and sinker every time.
0: And, I feel nuts sometimes because I'm like, I know I don't have an MBA. I know I like, yes, I know I went to Parsons, but like, I'm not an economist. But like, this seems fucked. Like It seems like this doesn't make a
1: lot of sense. Everyone's like, fast fashion is democratizing fashion by like creating an economy where people are virtual slaves and we can all buy cheap (laughs) clothing that falls apart. Oh, okay.
0: and, like, on the one hand, I feel like everyone should be able to participate in fashion. But then I think about... But at what cost? At what cost? Ex- yes. And then I think, like, something I, I was really thinking about reading your book was, like, it. Uh, so much has been sort of um, tidied up and removed for us. But it's, like, if you really knew that you know, purchasing these things. I, like, do you, you know, when we, hear, you see the tweets, you hear the rumors of like Shein workers are putting messages in the clothing or.
1: Zara workers, somebody, somebody sewed, a factory worker sewed a note into a coat saying they're withholding our wages. And then someone also sewed, and this is so disgusting, like trigger warning, if you don't like rodents, someone sewed a dead rat into a Zara dress once.
0: Respect to that person. I know, right? I kind of thought it was funny. Yeah, like <laughs> I don't. I mean, I think I think of myself if I was working in a factory, and like I'm a I'm a I'm a pretty like non princessy person, like hard worker. Mm-hmm. And I would, I, if I had to be a factory worker, I would be sewing all kinds of shit. You know? Oh my like, god, I'd be so I'd be so mad. I'd be so mad, and all I would want would be revenge. It, so, Same. And I just think like, if people could really uh, understand, but it's like, I don't know, I get more and more grossed out by I mean, I'm based in New York, but I try to get back to Europe as often as I can. And I just get so grossed out with the hyper individualism of the U.S. and the entitlement and the like, well, because I see so-and-so or because like euphoria fashion is in, I'm allowed to participate in this.
1: This is the thing, like how much participating are we allowed to do and at what expense does that participation come, right? Is trendy clothing a human right? And this is a question that I ask every six months because let's remember – 50% of our planet lives on $5.50 a day, which means that they're not participating in trends at all. So if it's a human right, then it's something that should actually be accessible to every human, but it's actually only accessible to a certain amount of humans who live in certain countries above a certain income.
0: Yeah. And do you think so much of it too is just perpetuating like life as high school? You know that I'm, like, you're willing to sort of, like, keep participating in these systems that are, like, so entrenched in, like, colonialism, racism, power dynamic, like, slavery, modern slavery. Like, it's, like, you're really doing that. So, like... Sometimes it feels like we never get out of high school, right? Well, I mean, my mom's big saying is life is high school with money. So, I, I mean, yes, it's it's like big truth there. And I genuinely do feel like
1: social media in this weird way is making some of us a lot more self-centered and a lot more individualistic. Yes. I have to keep myself in check sometimes and be like, oh, wow, you were on some bullshit today, honey.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Yeah. Like once a week, I have to be like, relax, you know, like, (laughs) well, and I've been trying, like, I mean, I definitely can trend towards being evangelistic. I don't know if that's just like the curse of being white, that you're just like, you always think, you know, you learn something for a split (laughs) second and then they're like, let me go spread the good word, you know? And I'm like. It's not appealing. People don't like it. It, You know, and I've been thinking a lot more of calling in versus calling out. But mm-hmm. I don't know how you're not furious all the time. Because I also think you show up like with a lot of patience in your social media, you do a lot of educating, but you also don't suffer fools. And I think it's really difficult sometimes when you're super knowledgeable about something and someone's like, but I love Chien or, but I want to have 14 hoodies, you know, to be like, (laughs)
1: exactly. How dare you make me feel bad about consuming clothing that I don't need? Like, that's really the root of a lot of it because if you are raised in, the global North and you're not living paycheck to paycheck, there's a very good chance that you have way more clothing than you'll ever need. That's oh. the reality. And so like a lot of it is just people's own guilt getting to them more than anything else. And that's what I realized. Like it's guilt and defensiveness, but it doesn't make what I'm saying any less true.
0: Yeah. Yes.
1: A lot of people acting on emotion.
0: It's, I mean, I think of it a lot to, you know, I tend to look at things a bit through like a spirituality or like a human behavior sort of lens. And I find it, you know, like a big thing you hear in the South because of racism is like, or when I was growing up, like a criticism you could hear like at the grocery store was like, if someone was paying for some, for their groceries with food stamps, you know, people would be super critical about what they were buying, you know? What they
1: were buying. Yes. There was like that receipt that was like found and it was like someone had bought like lobster and steak with their food stamps. And it's like, so because they're on food stamps, they don't get to ever taste lobster and steak. I don't like steak, but like I love some (laughs) lobster. So like, I guess you don't get nice things if you're on food stamps. That's essentially it
0: basically. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And I feel like people sometimes take this this sort of like this lends to fast
1: fashion that's yes. exactly it but the reality is clothing is so different from like food because you can't eat clothes and like you do need a certain amount of clothing right to protect you from the elements that sort of stuff is a human right but do you need a new wardrobe every single summer in order to participate in microtrends? i would argue That's not a human, right?
0: Yeah. And I also think that some of these things keep people. It's like interesting that I don't think because if you need government assistance, I don't think that you should then be told like what diet you have to eat, you know? Exactly. Mm -hmm. But I do think sometimes, like, and I've heard it with friends, like, you know, I, I an old friend of mine. Like, she was like in fifty thousand dollars worth of credit card debt, mm-hmm. and I bet forty five thousand of it was was Zara. You know? Yes. And it's like, I also think like we're we're literally destroying our planet. You know,
1: like for stuff that we don't even like to impress people we don't like. Also, another interesting fact that I learned when researching consumed. 15 million Americans suffer from a spending addiction.
0: I would love for you to talk some of it because I've flipped through towards the back of the book, but I would love, you know, like you talk a little bit before you purge and like some of these things and like the urge to consume. I think a lot of it is just like a different form of addiction and a, yeah. a different form of like keeping up with the Joneses. Yes, it's a mixture of
1: everything. Because another thing I talk about is like, hoarding, because Mm -hmm. I definitely have that in my family. I know that if I don't keep it in check, like I could definitely easily slip into like hoarding tendencies. And I like to like have that conversation publicly, because I think a lot of our generation really identifies with that. Like, I think our parents, my parents are baby boomers. Are like the perfect storm for like a generation that hoards because you come from like people that experience the Great Depression or you never threw anything away, and then you have a post war consumer boom. And with that combination, it's just like the perfect messy storm yeah. for consumption habits to run amok. And so I talk about a lot of this stuff just because it makes me feel better. I mean, even like what we were going back to when we were talking about like plus size earlier and like being plus size. I still have a problem with hoarding trousers because (laughs) for so many years I didn't have trousers that I liked that fit. And so I will buy, if I find a pair of trousers that I like, I have a problem with not buying them. I'll search eBay for them constantly and be like, oh, I should get that pair too. And I should get that pair as well. And that comes from years of trying to fit you know, my curvy plus size body into clothing that didn't fit. And now I have like an issue where I have this inherent scarcity mentality. And so, so much of how we buy into this system really looks like holding a mirror up to yourself and your own buying habits as well. And what we give a pass to and what is also like celebrated in our society too. Because one of the things I also talk about is how like, growing up so many of the movies that we liked always included a makeover scene that had like lots of shopping and we internalized that shit whether or not we want to own it we internalized it you have the downtrodden character that's treated like crap by like the cool people and then they go shopping and they get a makeover and there's lots of clothing and then like people are like Actually, she's not so bad after all, you know?
0: A hundred – well, I mean, I grew up in the the 80s and yuppies and like – There was nothing cooler than consumption. There was nothing cooler than wealth. There was nothing cooler than being very gluttonous, you know, across the board. And then I feel like in the 90s, we were just sort of, we were doing the same, but like kind of hiding it differently. And then it's weird now sometimes when I'm like so much of what I was raised with is now not cool and not desirable. (laughs) And like you said, you know, about the constant unlearning and unpacking like I love you say stop the war on want Mm -hmm. you know and I love that you say but you were talking about in terms of like your captioning and things like that you're like but now I know because I listen to others at different intersections from my own think outside of your your frame of reference and think what don't I know and what would that feel like know better do better and constantly unpack yourself I've gotta it's just
1: you can't actually, there's no arriving at like a place in this conversation where you're like, I'm good. You know, like (laughs) I am learning new things every single day. And like, there are so many opportunities for me to look at my own habits and be like, here's where you need work, you know? And like, we were born into like, this consumerist materialistic society. So for many of us, we're just
0: going to be unpacking it for the rest of our lives and that's okay. Yeah. And to your point too, about like the hoarding, like, Oh my God, I'm, So the same. And I also think like something I've been thinking about, I just don't do that well with alcohol. So I'll go stretches where I'm not drinking. Same. And and people act nuts about it, you know? Same. And I think it's similar about consumption, just period. That when I'm Oh my goodness, the way people
1: are like, oh, if you're not having a drink, you're making me feel bad. Oh, why don't you have a drink? Or if you're like, if your friends want to go to the mall and you don't want to do that anymore, and then everyone's like, well, you're no fun anymore.
0: Yeah. Or like, oh, if I buy some, are you going to judge me? And I'm like, no, I mean, not unless it's Ugo, then maybe, <laughs> you know, but like it, it's it. and first when s- sustainability was coming up. One, I was a little bit like eye rolly because I thought it was just something that a lot of startups were doing to seem better than they were, you know, yeah. that it, it already I felt like the greenwashing. I felt like... That's all for today. If you're interested in submitting a topic, please go to annatonk.com and hit the contact button, or you can email me at annatonk at gmail.com. If you're a fan of the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. It really does help.